0: Welcome to the latest instalment of the InVivo podcast. My name is Lucy Ellis-Tate, Executive Editor for InVivo. I'm joined in this episode by two members of the ILC Therapeutics team, Chair Peter Baines and VP of Immunology and Head of Preclinical Owen Millington. The pair will discuss the company's technology and where that came from, its pipeline that they're building. It's based on a hybrid interferon platform technology. They will talk more about how the company had to evolve post-COVID with its antiviral technology how the company is funded, its approach to partnering and what's coming up in the near term future. This and all of our other podcasts are available on the Sightline channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn and Spotify. To get us started then could you give a brief introduction each and note how you became involved with the IOC Therapeutics telling a bit about that story and where you are today. Uh, Peter if you could give us a, a first shot at that.
1: Sure, and, and thank you very much, Lucy. So my background is I've spent my entire career in pharma and biopharma, uh, 23 years with GSK across a number of roles, and uh, six years running a contract research organization in India called Sinjin, then three years as CEO of Sose, uh, which then became Sose Aptaris four years with a small activating RNA company early stage in London, and I currently work as group chief executive for Biocon, India's leading biotechnology company. So a long career in pharma and biopharma, and I came across ILCT working with a business partner, um, and we were looking explicitly for platform technologies that were UK-based, that we thought had high potential to meet unmet medical needs, and that we could bring our experience to bear on that. ILCT came up serendipitously through a network connection um, that we had. Uh, We took a look at the company, um, uh, really liked what we saw, met the board and the management team, had discussions about possible ways forward. Those discussions I think were were very constructive and one thing led to another and both uh, myself and my partner Richard Morgan were invited to join the board where I'm currently non-executive chairman.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, Interesting to hear about your background as well and how that feeds in. Uh, Owen?
2: Yeah, thanks Lucy. Yeah, I come very much from a a background in immunology, uh, and in particular started my life uh, using a lot of visualization tools, using microscopy to watch how the cells of the immune system interact with each other and communicate, and just became utterly fascinated by this element. I spent time growing up an academic research group before I then made the switch into biotech seven years ago. And since then, been at that interface of R&D, pre-clinical, CMC, and a couple of startup and early stage companies, always been specializing in immunology. We've managed to successfully progress candidates through the different stages from proof of concept through preclinical development and a couple of them into the clinic. And over the last year or so, having seen the evolution of cytokine therapies, the engineering of proteins, I've been, I have been I'm was really excited at the opportunity to move to ILC and join the company to really support progressing the candidates towards the clinic, as well as building from that early stage company and supporting growth of the team and, uh, and progressing those candidates.
0: Thank you. And that leads quite nicely then, actually, to, to talking a bit more about the technology at the company and where that comes from. Um, and then the, the pipeline strategy overall. Oh, and perhaps you could start with a bit about the technology.
2: Yeah, so the technology was developed initially by Professor Bill Stimson. He was at Strathclyde University. He was the founder of the immunology department many years ago and a leader in the interferon biology for, a, a, this, it's been based on a couple of decades of research. Here at ILC, we're building upon that to engineer hybrid interferon proteins. These interferons are they're a cytokine, a critical part of the immune system this is, that's key in the early immune response to infection. These proteins are pleiotropic. That means they've got multiple effects. So they have a great therapeutic uh, value that leads to direct anti-infective activity. But what that means is that, that these molecules can also act to dampen down the pathogenic damage causing inflammation that can be seen in some diseases. Now, previously, a couple of versions of interferons have been developed for clinical use. They've been uh, used for a long time. They've very well established efficacy in the clinic, been used for certain indications such as uh, the hepatitis virus and cancers. It's become uh, very clear that actually there are around 17 natural interferons, more than just a couple that have been used in the clinic. Each of these different interferons has a subtly different biological functional outcome. They interact with the the shared receptor in a slightly different way. And so at ILC, we're taking individual elements of these naturally occurring interferons and then splicing them together into these hybrid interferons, kind of like building Lego blocks into new molecules. This allows us to customize the functional response when, when the drug binds to the receptor and activates the cells. These hybrid interferons are highly distinct to the existing interferon therapies and they're engineered to reduce toxicity, to enhance the efficacy and to have broad applications across multiple indi- indications. With that, we're building a diverse pipeline of first in class, innovative hybrid interferons with very differentiated modes of action that have wide ranging potential. Through Capital Constraints, we've initially focused our efforts on two lead assets. One of those is being built for infectious diseases, that's called AlphaCyte, and the other one, which is called Dermocyte, we're targeting towards dermatological indications.
0: And Where do these drug candidates fit in then in the current development pipelines that we see? How does the, the company play a role?
2: So it's been exciting to see development across the sector with some fantastic science led programs, evolving established cytokine based therapies uh, and and bringing some new ideas into that space. There are similarities for ILC, especially in the multiple candidates and the potential for developing uh, novel approaches. Often those others have taken a library based approach. Uh, They've built robust screening platforms. We're taking this approach of building toward a rational design of these hybrid interferons. We're identifying fingerprints of biological activity for different natural subtypes. And our hybrids, we can design uh, these molecules for targeting specific aspects of biology. As I say, we're now focusing on two key areas at this stage. Infectious diseases are an incredibly important, important threat to human health. The rates of diseases are increasing for a number of different factors, including climate change, growing population, increased travel, and so on. And we just need to look at the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic to see examples of that. So we're seeing a lot more uh, R and investment in infectious diseases, and industry is looking for new therapies with differentiated mode of action. So our lead candidate, Alphacite, is working toward that. It's a broad spectrum antiviral for treatment of a number of different virus uh, approaches, but in in particular, we're developing it for upper respiratory tract infections, and it provides a novel therapeutic uh, for these types of infections, including coronaviruses and emerging diseases, as well as for respiratory syncytial virus. We've seen that it's got good activity in vitro, and we're now seeing early in vivo data uh, showing a, a clear efficacy signal is built around that pleiotropy that I mentioned earlier. We see the antiviral activity, the protein can work on the epithelial cells of the lung to reduce their uh, susceptibility to infection, but it can also boost the adaptive arm of the immune system to increase that T cell memory response, as well as reducing the damaging inflammation associated with pathology that causes many of the symptoms of disease. So it's been exciting to get progress with this lead candidate. But of course, it's also validating our platform for development of our future drug candidates.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Peter, any thoughts there to add on that kind of perspective over time of uh, of industry sort of moving to focus perhaps again on infectious disease when there was a bit of waning in that area before?
1: Yes, and I think that's been a very clear sort of macro dynamic. Um, you know, and I think we're seeing that you know, in in antimicrobial uh, in the, in that arena, uh, and and for us, you know, in the antiviral arena, uh, viruses, as I was describe, obviously with SARS-CoV-2 being the poster child uh, over the last few years, demonstrating that um, you know mankind's battle with viruses, which has been raging, I guess, from um, from the very first cell being formed. All the way through to today is is not going away, and is very likely to be a you know a major healthcare challenge going forward. So we think that the nature of um, biological intervention that hybrid interferons have can play into that very significant unmet medical need. So it just amplifies that we think this is a, a you know a very exciting area to be working in, and, and we also believe that we are you know, the most advanced um, uh, platform looking at hybrid interferons um, and have an opportunity here to look to bring forward a new class of medicines.
0: I mean, how did the company have to sort of evolve post-COVID as it had different effects on the, the way you're working?
2: Really good question. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a, a global viral pandemic provided a huge catalyst for the company for us to evolve and to do that quickly with a significant unmet medical need. The interferons, of course, provide an ideal candidate for these respiratory viral infections. Where it really benefited us was that we saw rapid development by a number of uh, different CROs and organisations to create preclinical models that meant that we could rapidly apply our alpha-site candidate to in vivo studies and show that it demonstrates both antiviral activity and importantly, protection from the pathology that underpins the disease. And these data, these key in vivo uh, proof of concept data have really allowed us to further develop this lead asset for other respiratory viral infections as well as for other viruses.
0: That's really interesting. And and Peter, is there anything to add there in sort of the post-pandemic world that we find ourselves in now and and how the company's altered to uh, to meet the needs there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the company's focus has been well described and antivirals is one and COVID has provided, uh, you know, a new lens for that. I think in the wider picture, the investment landscape post-COVID, you know, has has also changed. There are some dynamics there and and I think that includes positives and negatives. I think there've been some negatives around the contraction in early stage biotech in investment that, that we've seen. Not sure that's entirely related to post-COVID, but potentially more related to economics. But we've also seen new investors coming in with, uh, you know, this um, reinvigorated interest in in the antiviral space and and more widely in the immunological space as the breadth and depth of the interventional capability of cytokines, for example, which, which in, in very many ways are orchestrated by interferons, plays in across a very wide range of, of therapeutic areas. And I, I think we're, we're, we're definitely seeing an increase in investment interest in that immunological space.
0: We'll talk a bit more about um, the potential around the platform uh, in a moment, but it'd be interesting off the back of that to to think about the uh, financial strategy for the company. How are you currently funded and, and what are the next uh, steps that you require?
1: Well, I think our funding profile is probably reasonably typical in terms of how it's evolved for a startup, biotech. We've been lucky in many ways. We've had very good support throughout our Early seed rounds, and that supports come from a range of, of, of investors, and, and they include like typically you know high net worth participation, and, and a lot of our high net worth participation has been through a high net worth syndicate in Scotland called EOS. ILCT is is based <clears throat> um, in, in, in Glasgow. We've also been strongly supported by Scottish Enterprise, which is Scotland's national development agency. And perhaps a little bit atypically here, we've been supported by um, a specialist early stage Japanese-based venture capital group called Medical Incubator Japan. Um, So that's been the, the mix and the profile, and it's largely typical. A little bit of customization. Um, we're we're currently closing um, a, a what we hope will be our final seed round, and on the back of that, then we will be looking to progress into a Series A through more conventional institutional investors later this year. And uh, you know, we're we're obviously looking at the funding landscape in biotech, uh, and we see a little bit uh, more activity there and excited by the opportunities that we hope will come through that and through further investment
0: uh, interesting to hear the mix of investment there and, and what's coming next um was there anything to add on perhaps the series a
2: yeah I, I think as peter says it's been a very difficult landscape for the last couple of years in the, the biotech funding but we're starting to see the green shoots of recovery and I, I i'm really excited to move towards the series a later this year with that improving landscape I think, you know, what's really important is how we differentiate and that activity that we see, that broad spectrum activity of our antiviral, a candidate with alpha site, as well as the pleiotropic nature of how these molecules work. The fact that we're not just targeting individual elements of a very complex disease is something that really allows us to differentiate from some of the others in the space, which will hopefully set us up well for that Series A fundraise.
0: And you're a UK-based company, so what are some of the challenges then of, of being a UK biotech and perhaps some of the benefits that you're experiencing as well?
2: I
1: think broadly the, the challenges and, and, and the benefits and advantages of operating as an early stage biotech in the UK are fairly well characterised and I don't think we're in any way um, you know, a marked exception from that. I think the, the challenges include access to capital. Uh, we've been fortunate in in, in in our position as I've just described in in having had consistent support from the, uh, a range of investors throughout our seed ground stage. Um, uh, you know we we'll need to expand on that uh, as we move into a series A and that will expand I think you know geographically as well. Uh, another challenge that I think is as is, is well, recognized as the complexity sometimes of the regulatory landscape uh, you know which for small companies can be both expensive and, and, and time-consuming on on resource um, and, and, and while that is the case I, I think uh, can be the case certainly in, in the UK it, it would be fair to say that it can often be the case in other jurisdictions too now, against that, you know, there are some very strong benefits of, of operating in, in, in the UK uh, as, a, as a biotech company and, and particularly for us in Scotland. Um, and that includes, you know, a, a very well-established scientific uh, ecosystem and access to world-class research institutions, uh, u- universities and, and academia. And a very significant network of contract research organisations, um, and, and you know we're very well placed in Scotland with tremendous access to great academic institutions like St Andrews, Edinburgh, Glasgow, to name but three that that, that we work with. And of course, within that ecosystem, um, th- there's access to you know very good scientific talent, um, and, and we drawn from that pool in Scotland, with some, some really good individuals, and you know, hope to present an opportunity for these individuals to grow as our company grows. Uh, the the R and D tax credits, of course, you know, are a welcome um, part of the ecosystem of op- operating in in the UK, and, and and so is the grant funding environment. And I guess beyond that is is the is the strong um, IP system in in the uk where where obviously you know we, we are operating and we're building you know a valuable intellectual property estate and and, and benefit from the, the very well established ip process system and framework that exists
0: peter that was a really useful sort of summary of the challenges but also unique benefits in the uk uh, owen was there anything you wanted to add on that topic
2: the ecosystem in the scientific community uh in the uk is is fantastic to see i think it's It's second to none in that sense, and obviously the the immunology uh, expertise that we have uh, across the UK and and particularly here in Scotland uh, provides a fantastic resource for us as a company. We can share information in either direction. Clearly we can benefit from work that is ongoing in the academic sector and we can learn from that, but it's a two-way street and we can work in a collaborative nature to support uh, academics. We can uh, look at placements within their laboratories. Uh, and continue that kind of collaborative approach to grow connections and that ecosystem, but also to, of course, progress individuals. And the, the other point that Peter raised about the, the the pool of talent that we can recruit from to build our team uh, is is incredibly important as we look to, to grow an early stage biotech company.
0: Yes, we hear a lot um, at the moment that kind of question of uh, access to talent and growing talent. Uh, within biotech, so that's really interesting to hear about uh, specifically those um, talents and skills that you're able to access. What is the company's approach then, if you're thinking about partnering? Have you uh, secured any partnerships already?
1: Sure. Well, I, I mean, we're very open to to partnering and collaborations, um, and are in a number of active discussions with potential partners uh, on the in the pharmaceutical side, in the human side. Uh, we have announced, uh, you know, an, an early auction partnership on the animal health side um, uh, last year. Uh, I, um, I mean, um, our operating model is is really as a as a translational enterprise, where we will be looking to progress um, drug candidates from our platform and develop them into candidates. Through preclinical and into clinical proof of concept, but but then we'll look to partner once we've you know de-risked to that stage and achieved sort of value recognition and, and value inflection. So I think partnering and collaborations is, is actually central to, to our, our wider business model. I uh, mean, oh,
0: perhaps you could. Um... A follow up on that and also um, the, something else I wanted to ask you about, which is further development plans outside of the um, disease areas that you've identified. Is that something that you're thinking about for the future and particularly perhaps on the partnering front?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, around the, the the partnering side, just to add to what Peter says, the more operational partnering is, is really important, linking back to what we mentioned earlier on, collaborating extensively with CROs, with academic groups, with KOLs. We're really able to leverage the, that support network and partnerships to, to really draw on the wealth, the breadth, the depth of expertise across Europe, across the UK, and especially here in Scotland. Around that question for for further development, yes, as as we already said, we have these two candidates working towards firstly an antiviral candidate and then the other dermocyte as a uh, a dermatological uh, approach uh, to target particularly psoriasis built on that pleiotropy. But the nature of interferon biology means that Because they're involved in a wide range of indications, we can see enormous potential for future development in a number of disease areas. We're building our discovery engine to work towards that uh, delivering on that proof of concept and understanding those different fingerprints of the interferon subtypes. And this is providing us with the key to unlock our ability for then rational design of these novel molecules for specific indications, including targeting into allergies for other infectious diseases, as well as for autoimmunity.
0: It's really interesting to to hear sort of how you've started, where you're going and what might be in the future to keep an eye out for as well. Uh, Thinking about that then, what are some of the near term milestones that you would highlight?
2: Yeah, so we've we've recently shown the initial proof of concept in two different respiratory viral infection preclinical models. That's really important for us. It gives us that reason to believe and move forward with this. And we're working on preclinical packages to really support that. We've really started to address many of the CMC challenges around production and the assays that will be important for this. So over the coming year, we're now focusing in, in more detail on those preclinical studies, the PK, the efficacy, the dosing strategies, as well as growing the data package. This is, of course, building our readiness for future toxicity studies and eventual CTA and progression into the clinic early 2025.
0: 2025 doesn't seem that far off um, when you've got a lot, lot to get to. Uh, Peter, thoughts there as well on uh, sort of near term goals and perhaps a few further further out goals.
1: Initial uh, in vivo POC, uh, you know, is, is a very well-recognized inflection point and de-risking point, and it's, it's very exciting for us to be looking at approaching that, not with one, but with two, two candidates. And if, if that goes well, then I think, you know, we're really very, very excited um, around the, the longer-term potential that exists here. With with our hybrid interferon platform, I mean this is is a very distinct um, approach. Uh, it, it it underpins an opportunity, you know, for a new and, and novel mechanism in, in in a class of drugs that can represent, you know, the next generation of, of interferon therapy. And we're going to describe how how important a role interferons play uh, across the you know immunity and inflammation and it's also exciting going back to one of your earlier questions about COVID and and SARS and and, and that's highlighted the real need for a new generation of antivirals which have have I said earlier have been one of mankind's biggest challenges in in the past certainly through SARS-CoV-2 we've seen it in the present and for sure It's not disappearing and will remain a threat in the future. So so we really think that we're working on something where there is a real and significant unmet need, and and that is wide-spectrum antivirals uh, that can be applied for both pandemic issues as, 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 as well as other emerging viral threats. So we're very, very excited, I think, both about the operational near-term goals and, and, and milestones that we're looking to achieve and how that can fit into the wider context of having the opportunity to potentially progress, you know, an important new class of medicines and from that some some exciting drugs that can meet unmet patient needs.
0: It's really interesting to sort of hear the the grittier detail and, and the technology, and what you're building, and, and how we can sort of watch that over time. um Owen, perhaps you could close us out with a few a few th- final thoughts and a, a summary there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really exciting time for us as at ILC Therapeutics. There's a great potential for these hybrid interferons with uh, this novel drug class uh, representing next generation of interferon therapies. There's real unmet needs, both in the antiviral space as well as in dermatological indications and a number of others that we could look at in the future. That's why we're building this exciting platform with a science driven approach for unmet patient needs. It's really exciting to be at this point where we can demonstrate that technology and look forward to validating that in the clinic to really show the the, the potential for this platform.
0: Well, thank you both for your time today and sharing those insights. It's been really useful um, and I look forward to, to seeing more. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Lucy.